0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Mark Groves podcast. I had a couple episodes ready and dialed up to pop in your ear, and they were just not, you know, as the world events occurred, I didn't want to release them out of sensitivity to what was occurring, and I wanted to dive into the conversations that are happening in the world and you know this specific episode is not about race specifically it's not about racism it's about humanity it's about you know as i explored this subject i i want to walk you through some of my thought processes because i think it's important for other people to hear the internal dialogue of someone who um you know like this idea that i'm afraid you might judge me of course i am because i'm human and I ask for your grace that I might get the wrong words in the wrong order. And that's ultimately what gets in the way of speaking out for white people in general is that we're afraid of not being seen as nice or not being liked by our family if we stand up for this or being berated or made fun of or being seen as virtue signaling. When when this comes from a heart-centered space, it is expansive. It is healing to acknowledge what is occurring in the world, to acknowledge the pain and suffering of different groups of people and especially currently in the, in the spotlight of the world, the suffering of black people. And it's interesting because I was thinking like, we're going to continue to have this conversation about black lives matter. And I thought, Oh my gosh, like this, the fact that we have to continue to have it means that we haven't, we haven't changed much. You know, I watched, um, the, movie, I Am Not Your Negro, which is based on James Baldwin's writings. And it is fantastic. I recommend it to anyone who wants to see the history through the eyes of James Baldwin and the experience of, of what it is like to be a black person in America. And there are so many great films with Apple, I know, has a section and Netflix has a section for us to educate ourselves. You know, there's a, a line from Ram Dass where he talks about how You know, there is compassion, where I have compassion for your experience, that I can have empathy and experience your suffering. But then there's a whole other line where the space between you and I dissolves and your suffering is my suffering. That in your experience of pain, I experience pain. And that's ultimately what gets in the way. There's a block between accepting the suffering and pain of someone else, because I think, in some ways, we'll feel responsible for it, um, but also because it can be, it can feel all-consuming. I know I've felt that way—that like, if I touch the tip of this pain, I will be swallowed by the pain of humanity, but not realizing humanity's pain is my pain. Like, it is my responsibility in relationship that I help to nurture and repair with my partner, with my family, with anyone. If it's safe to do so, but to, it is my job, it is my work in relationship to hold the space for repair and healing. And there's a great line from uh, the Gottmans where they talk about relationship masters. And that's why I wanted to point out to you that all of this stuff is relational. The skills that you're invited to learn in these conversations are relational, and they're the same skill set. If you can't take this skill set on in this conversation. You won't be able to fully take it on in any because you'll have to shut down a part of yourself to avoid it in this conversation. And you won't have access fully to that part of yourself anywhere else. Because if you access it anywhere else, then you have to access it here. So you can't shut down compassion here or empathy or the experience of their pain because then you have to shut down the experience of of being able to feel into other people's pain. And so there is this, there is this exploration of recognizing that, uh, the, sorry, the Gottman quote, you can see my brain goes squirrel. Um, the Gottman quote is what really relationship masters do differently than everybody else is that they don't leave their partner in pain. They don't let them sit there and suffer. They repair. They repair, they repair, they repair. That's actually one of my favorite quotes because... It reminds me how much we, one, try to punish people to leave them in their suffering because we're hurting, and two, we're afraid of their suffering, and we don't know how to hold it because we don't know how to hold our own. And so this is the work we're doing, is, you know, I, I, I don't know what the future education of this looks like on the podcast itself, but what I do know is that in the exploration of how to talk about this on Instagram first is there was the conversation about muting my voice and then leaving the space for um, melanated voices to rise. But I realized, and in the conversation with my friend who's on the podcast today, he was saying, and as he's a black man, he was saying, I don't want you to mute your voice. Like, I want you to use your voice or use your platform. And I thought, that's exactly what I want to do is... Use my platform to amplify the voices of others who don't have my platform. I mean, that's the essential, like sharing privilege, stand on the shoulders and then become the highest tower, the highest speaker, the loudest voice. That is such a beautiful idea. And with the help of my social media manager, who is incredibly brilliant, she had an idea of doing, using these quotes of these, we already use these famous quotes from incredible black writers and she had this idea of combining it with video clips of them speaking so we could feel their pain and suffering. And I thought, and, and their experience, because you know, so much beautiful creativity is birthed from pain. You know, think about how much you can create from heartbreak if you harness it. Think about how many and and so when we connect to these words of people who have suffered, we just take the words and we don't invest in the stories. I was watching this really great town hall from a woman named Rachel Rogers yesterday, and it was about how to move your small business forward in a way that is proactive and anti-racist. And I thought, okay, this is a really, and they said, what books are on your bookshelf? Like decolonize your bookshelf. And I thought that's so fascinating because I haven't read the life stories of James Baldwin and Maya Angelou and Toni Morrison but i'm diving into them now because i want to connect to that and so those are some of the ways that we can connect to the stories of people and then you know as my my social media manager said is like then when it we talk about the conversation of dehumanizing then it makes, it's not even a reality that we would question that we don't want equality. And I love the way that Brene Brown expresses that anyone who's been dehumanized must be rehumanized first. And that's why, of course, all lives matter. But that's why black lives matter, because they need to matter more. And that conversation is very divisive, you know, and not divisive in that um, having it separates two people, but it's very interesting that when we say Black Lives Matter, we automatically are in this space where, oh, well, then those lives don't. That's not what occurs in it. You know, it, that's not what is actually happening. It's just like when Kaepernick, Kaepernick took a knee, um, the conversation was turned about disrespect of the flag and military. And I'm not American, but I do have lots of American friends and, uh, you know, who are were in the military are in the military. And we had this really beautiful conversation where I said, can you separate that taking the knee is a separate experience than respecting the military and the flag? Like those two things can be um, separate. They don't have to. One does not mean the other. That was just created to create a political riff about it. And so as you explore this conversation, as I explore it, um, it is with an open heart. To be wrong, to be curious, to feel shame, to sit in the discomfort, to look at how I can contribute and change, and you know, moving forward, I am committed to bringing more people of color on the podcast. Um, I, you know, I already have so many incredible teacher friends who have been on, who are black and people of color, and you know, it's a it's a no brainer. But I want to be proactive about it. And as I think about those things, I'm like, yeah, that's that's the responsibility. That's what it means to be humane: is to think about one another, to care about one another, to support one another, and to acknowledge where there is a lack of fairness and oppression and suppression. And you know, so I am grateful that you're listening to this podcast. I always say to people, because the only ever Negative review I ever get on the podcast is when someone doesn't agree with something I said or the content. The podcast can still be incredibly good, even if you don't agree with something I said. That's actually a great sign that the podcast is good, is that I'm not willing to just tell you, you know, dance for you and make sure that everything I post and everything I say is in alignment with your political views, your racial views, all those things. It is so important that we learn to sit. In the space of other opinions and things, if you feel uncomfortable in anything that is said ever, explore yourself. Where does it sit? Where does that come from? Why is that coming up? Where is it in my body? If that part of my body could speak, it would say. You know, that's such a great way to get back into your body and to explore when feelings come up. Especially if you're someone who lives in your head. Because the journey back to your heart is through stillness, is through observing is through asking questions so if you feel emotions come up in this conversation but any conversation take a deep breath and what i you can just do this right now take a deep breath close your eyes if you're driving don't do that but sit (sighs) So what I want you to do is finish these sentence stems. I don't want you to repeat them back out loud. I just want you to come up with the exact first thing that comes to you when you hear this. And that's how you get intuitive. Is you go with the first thing. If you say, I don't know, choose something. Because I don't know is a way of not having to choose anything. It's a form of distraction. It's a form of self-sabotage. Saying, I don't know is just a way of not actually having to make a movement towards anything and commit to a thought of feeling an opinion. And then if you experience shame for your opinion, that's okay. Explore that. Where did it come from? Is it yours? Why do you have shame holding it? Is it congruent with your values? So let's do this. When I think about the conversation of race, I feel...
1: Where I feel that in my body is... Put your hand on that part of your body. Take a deep breath. If that part of my body could speak, it would say. When I hear that out loud, I feel. The conversation about race is. Some of the ways in which I've contributed to the situation of racism is.
0: Sometimes I judge when how I feel about myself when I judge other people is
1: some ways in which I dehumanize myself are knowing that feels the idea of changing a system feels. Whenever
0: something feels overwhelming, I... A strategy to soothe my anxiety that I
1: use is... What I could start doing today to help facilitate change is... Another thing I could do is. The reason that everyone experiencing love and compassion is important to me is because. When I feel loved and safe, I. When I provide love and safety for another, I feel. I'm ready to. What I'm most excited about is.
0: I can't wait to go give Mark a five-star and written review on a podcast, right? (laughs) Take a deep breath. (sighs) Just feel that love in your body. Bring that sense of stillness and love and compassion to everything you do. Listen. Seek to listen. Seek to understand. There are so many resources that I will link in this podcast um, out in the show notes. And there are so many great teachers and so many great books and so many great movies that can connect you to the experience of the suffering. And in doing that, you open the gateway to your own because theirs is ours And even to say theirs is separative. I don't even know if that's a word. Ours is ours. That's ultimately it, right? Any human that suffers is our suffering. And that's what this podcast is about. That's what Create the Love is about. That's what I'm about. That's what you're about. We don't leave someone suffering. Fuck that. We love. And we get loud. And we use our platforms. And we use our voices. And we look at these these incredible people around us. And we just send love to them and we greet them and we're extra kind. And we, we really, really, really think about how we want to leave this world for the next generation. And I know I want to leave it safer. I want to leave it in a place where everyone feels like they can walk down the street and not be arrested, attacked, killed by the people that are supposed to protect us. Again, I have lots of friends who are police officers. This is not about saying all cops are bad. That's not what the conversation is. So let's take that love. Let's bring it out in the world and let's, wherever you are, big round of applause to welcome my good friend, Sylvester McNutt. We talk about all sorts of things in this. And I want you to stay with it because we go through his journey, his experience conversation. He educates a lot in this about different things that I did not know about being a Canadian, which that is not my excuse for ignorance, but it is my invitation to my further education on these subjects um, to take responsibility that I need to, it's a privilege to not have to know. And so I'm engaging in the knowing and the education So I'm so grateful that he had the space and time to do this. And, you know, we go into some political policies, what those might look like. I mean, we touch all the subjects uh, maternity leave. We get into it. So without further ado, my good friend, Sylvester McNutt. Well, I'm excited to have back on my main man, Sylvester McNutt. We've done this two times, but now we find ourselves in a, before we're just talking about romantic relationships and personal growth but you know this is sort of the you know, this is relationships i had a guy on my instagram say to me stick to relationships you're good at that And i'm like this is fucking relationships this is everything this is the systems that live below why we do what we do and why we don't get opportunity etc cetera, etc cetera. so i'm i'm so grateful for you to be here today um, i love our conversations and Um, I'm just really excited to learn from you and to have a chat with you. So thanks for being here.
2: Mark, over the time you have sent some, first of all, you've sent people who do the same type of work we do um, other colleagues to connect with. Then you've also sent passionate, curious, compassionate people. Like I've literally had people reach out to me from Vancouver and they're like, Hey, if you need, if you need anything, let me know. Like, and I'm, and I'm just like, oh, I know, you're, you've got to be Mark's friend. There's no way like <laughs> you're just a random Vancouver person. Nope, you're one of Mark's friends, and you came from Mark. And a lot of the times people actually leave with that. they're like, hey, you know, I follow Mark or I'm on his podcast and they just come to me, you know, with gratitude and love. and I'm just so appreciative, man, just for you sharing the space and just connecting with like-minded people whether we're, you know, professionals or colleagues or we're just listening to the same conversations. I, I love it. So I just want to thank you for sharing this space.
0: No, I can't. You know, I, you and I had a conversation, the first conversation we had on the podcast. And I remember you said to me and I, it, it made me want to have more conversations about it. I asked you, could we, you know, do a, a podcast episode on what it's like to be in relationship in the black community versus white versus any and because i was super curious about it because you had mentioned you know it's your experience of being a black man walking down the street and that you're mindful of the fear it might bring up in other people that you are protective of their experience of you being perceived as a threat which is just insane to even have to go through that lens that's the I recognize that my privilege doesn't even make me go through that lens. I sometimes think about being a man in the dark, walking on the street and changing, you know, going to the other side, but never in the same context. I do recall that conversation.
2: That was a few months ago. And it was before, you know, the fever pitch of this energy hit like a a mainstream news cycle. Something that, you know, I've always been aware of. (laughs) But I think uh, we're just like in this space where more people are starting to. I honestly, just become more empathetic and listen and learn. So, yeah, man, where where do you want to start with this? I know you you you, you got
0: questions. <laughs> I do. I mean the uh, the other day you said on your Instagram, I sh- I was sharing it uh, today, just how you said that healing always requires empathy first, that it always requires yeah. just the witnessing. So, tell us more about that because that uh, I mean. I, everyone listening, all of this is relevant. If you can build this skill from a systemic lens, you can build it in a relational lens, but you can't have one or the other. You have to be able to put it in every experience. So yeah, tell me more about that. What sparked that? (sighs) Okay.
2: First, my grandmother raised me on love. That's first and foremost. So before anybody wants to put me in a box of what I am or what I am not. What's most important is that you understand my grandmother raised me on love. And what that means to me is that my first girlfriend in high school was a black woman. We dated for two years. My next girlfriend in college, we dated for four and a half years. She is Irish and Native American, Um, but she doesn't look Native American. She looks like a white woman. So if you see her, you're going to assume she's an American white woman, which is, I mean, that's a whole conversation in itself. It's like, you just look at someone and you think you know what they are and their origins. And that's a whole nother conversation. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it got to the point where it was like Thanksgiving or Christmas and, you know, families get together. So I told my girl, uh, I said, hey, we're about to go. I think it was Thanksgiving. I said, hey, we're going to go to my house, South Side of Chicago, for Thanksgiving. I attended uh, Northern Illinois University, and that's in DeKalb, Illinois. And the South Side of Chicago is uh, 65 miles away. She was like, okay, let's go. That was her response. Um, In the car there, when we were driving, she asked, and she said, hey, is, you know, your family going to be okay with me? And I was like, what do you mean? She's like, well, you know, I'm a white girl. Like, are they going to be okay with that? I said, (laughs) my actual response was, I don't give a fuck what they're okay with, you know? Because to me, it's always like, look, I'm going to love who I want to love. I'm going to be friends with who I want to be friends with. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. I'm not harming anyone, you know? So for me, it's, I've never been, I've never been the type of person where it's like, oh, that person's gay, so I'm not cool with them because other people have issues or, you know, I'm not with that. Like I'm raised on love. So to me, it's if you're offering me love, I'm offering you love. So at this point in my life, she was the most loving person that I had met. I was going through all types of pain, all types of trauma, all types of shame, all types of guilt, all types of codependency, all types of confusion. I was going through it on every accord. I'm in college. I didn't want to be in college. Not speaking to my father, having discord and disconnect with my unavailable, unavailable uh, mother, being resentful towards my family, being financially broke. Live Literally the only money I was having was because I was a college student. So getting refund checks from financial aid, which was essentially... Loans, mm-hmm. uh being in a place I hate it because I hate the winter time. Now I know the winter in Vancouver is not that bad, but the winter in Chicago oh. is awful, bro. So I'm just in this place where I like literally hate everything about my life combined with all this trauma and pain that I went through, but at that point in my life, I had I didn't have the skills to heal. Like I didn't know what to do. All I did was right that was all I could do. I would just write in my journal. But that really wasn't enough. So here I am in college and this girl sees me. She sees the light in me. She sees my sense of humor. She sees everything that's good about me before I even do. And every single day she tried to love me. She tried to bring me food. She tried to make me laugh. She tried to uh, help me with my homework assignments when I was struggling. She, I used to just play video games as like a coping mechanism. like I still do, but... I have boundaries now. I play for like an hour or two and just now get off. Outlet rather than- yeah, yeah. Now it's just like, okay, let me get up. But then it was like, no, I'm going to play for like eight, nine hours. And it was because I didn't want to be in the real world because the real world was so bad for me. And she was the first one to come in my life and to understand why I was playing video games. But she was like, hey, you know, you, you need to get off of this because you need to do other protect, other productive things. Like You can't just do this. For me, I was under the mindset of, As long as I did class, as long as I did football practice and working out, nothing else mattered. Like, I genuinely didn't care about anything. And she was the first one that was like, no, you need to care about yourself. You have too much. Like, you have way too much. She literally saw my potential. She was the first one I ever shared my writings with. Like, my notebooks, my poems, my stories. No, like, up until this point in my life, no one ever saw them. It was forbidden. And she's like, "This is good. You need to get published. You need to keep practicing. You need like she was on me. So when she asked me in that car, like we had been together for a little while at this point, um, we got together in the summer. So this would have been you know like six months in. So when she asked me, like, "What does your family think about me?" That's why that's why I repeat what I said. I don't give a fuck what they think about you. Like you literally saved my life. You're literally showing me light and love that nobody has ever shown me. So whatever their opinion of you is, it has no place with me. It doesn't matter because I I don't like you. I love you, you know? So we end up getting to uh, the Thanksgiving and it was at my grandmother's house on the south side of Chicago. And my grandmother was my best friend. Um, She passed in 2012. She was my best friend because I could literally tell her anything anything, dude. I could tell her anything, which I didn't have that relationship with my mother and father because they were a lot more judgmental. Like most parents are, they're, they're a lot more judgmental and they wanted me to be a certain way, very high expectations. But there was just this emotional side of me that was never met by either one of my parents. Uh, But my grandmother met that She was always, she always had compassion. She was always listening. I think a lot of our grandmothers are like that, where they're just, they genuinely just offer that like unconditional love. Um, And I brought my girlfriend in. You got to, you got to understand the context, like living in America, America, I'm born in the eighties. So my grandmother would be two generations from me. She grew up in Mississippi, Mississippi is one of the original Southern colonies that had slaves. So my grandmother is a direct descendant of a slave. My grandmother also, her father was white. And that's one thing that I don't think people realize in these conversations, when they're talking about black people, a lot of us have white American in our family. Nowadays, because we're choosing it, right? but like in my grandmother's generation not saying they didn't they didn't choose it but a lot of it
0: was rape. Yeah, a lot right. of it was the the owner, right? with yes, with the slaves with their they were married couples and they rape the women.
2: Right. And then you you would have situations where you know the the husband would he would have his family and then he would just go go rape his property essentially which is what slaves were. So it's like American people have to understand that like, the history, like, when I look back on my history, mm-hmm. it's confusing as hell. Like, my name is Sylvester McNutt. That is, McNutt is an Irish name.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: That's not the name of, like, indigenous Black people from, like, the West Indies or, you know, I don't e- I couldn't even trace it back. I can't. I've tried. I can't even trace it back. I don't know. Like, I, I have to literally live my life with a name whose origins were probably given to me from what my slave owner's name were and that will go back to Ireland essentially which is confusing (laughs) Mm -hmm. so back to when we get there my grandmother when I get in she sees me she hug love kiss uh she meets my girl and she goes are you guys hungry you know I know you just drove two hours to get here are you hungry Mm -hmm. there was never a conversation wow like, oh you you brought a white girl home or there never, never. It was never we dated for five years. Nobody in my family said anything to me about her being white. And even to this day, no one has ever said anything to me about her being white. And that now that's my family. I can't speak for everyone's family, but that's my family. And you know, even in my family, if you fast forward, my first cousin, her kid is mixed. You know, she married a white guy. Her kid is mixed. If my kid is black and Mexican, my kid is mixed, you know, and we have a fa- a mixed family. Like we have a whole bunch of heritages and cultures in our family. So. For me, speaking only for me, like I'm accepting, I'm accepting of all people as long as they're not bringing that low vibrational, negative, toxic, hateful energy. As long as you're not doing that, we're cool. I personally am not living my life like that's a black person, that's a white person, that's a Chinese person. Oh, they're from Bangladesh. Like that's draining.
0: Yeah. For me, it, it goes through that filter, you know, which is um, you know, I think for some people, you know, speaking. From my experience growing up, I grew up in the inner city of Calgary, which is cold as gets to. And it, I grew up with so many different cultures around me that I didn't even think about it. But that's, you know, also, I've really in the last, I mean, couple of years, uh, been thinking a lot about how the systems are framed in my vantage and that, you know, I'm a, I'm a white male with power. You know, essentially, you know, I started an Instagram and I have a sense of power, um, not that's being given to me by people following me. It's not that, you know, you take it, but you see that, you see that, that there are, you know, it's, it, I really think about like, I'm the epitome of what's being spoken about right now. And I'm like, how do, because for me, I don't think about like, okay, well, if I share or use my privilege to elevate the voices of those who don't have the same platform and don't have the same, you know, whiteness. I'm like, I don't lose anything. Like I hadn't consciously been thinking about it, but I think it's been really um, beautiful to put it front and center for me to say like, okay, I want to get intentional about blowing up those systems by actually in some ways prioritizing that, that that there is the voice to women, to women of color, to people of color. And being able to look at my own unconscious biases just by, which of course involves some shame, some guilt. I remember the first time I heard Black Lives Matter, I was talking with a friend and I was like, yeah, but don't all lives matter? I remember saying that, and she's a black woman, and she gave me an education real quick. She lived in New York and i hadn't even thought about the idea that though you know that people who've been dehumanized the work is first to rehumanize them of course all lives matter that's 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 actually just a given but when other people's lives have not mattered it is important to make them matter first and then all lives actually matter but currently that's not true all lives don't matter at the same level and i noticed when i shared um a quote the other day from uh Scott I forget his last name right now off the top of my head but anyways incredible writer and in the first part says the the problem is that most white people think that racism is hatred and it goes into how racism is systemic and i got quite a few replies from white people who were like the first line of your meme is hatred is racist and i'm like you guys can't even hear like you're so busy defending this principle that you don't even know why you stand for that you can't even hear the rest of the thing about the systems and about the oppression and just what you were saying that you know i've always thought that mixed race people are the ultimate expression of love by when it's by choice but not recognizing that you know in people's past there is the experience that you were talking about in your grandmother's bloodline in your bloodline and so as all this stuff comes forward you know you were saying i mean you brought up race in our first conversation and that was really you know it offered a way of seeing that i hadn't thought of and so i'm wondering for you like as all this has come up and inflated right now and hopefully continues to be a front and center what has come up for you like what you know because i've seen your writing and what you've been speaking about but you know is there anything that really you want like when you think about the white person i'm talking about who's offended by the first line
2: Yeah. So there's there's three things there that you said that I want to touch on. So the very first thing is that person who's, quote unquote, offended. Um, A lot of people get offended at the truth. A lot of people get offended at things that bother their sense of security of who they are. You know. Being completely honest and transparent when it comes to white Americans, uh, racism is coded in their DNA. It's coded. It's literally coded into our culture. Uh, My brother, he works at the uh, dispensary here. Uh, medical marijuana dispensary. He got a Yelp review or maybe a Google review and it's like a five-star positive review. And the comment literally says, the color man that helped me was so good and knowledgeable. And it's like, he is a proper noun. He has a name and his name is Will. And there's other ways to describe a person. And it's like, it's one of the things that we do here. It's like the psychology of Americans is we describe people by race, if you go to a, a massage parlor, parlor and there's two ladies working there, and you leave and you tell your friend, "Oh man, you know the lady at the massage parlor, she really helped me. You should go check her out. She's really good." Yeah, do you remember her name? No, I don't remember her name. Just just go see the Asian lady. Mm-hmm. That's literally that's how we're trained to think subconsciously here in America. Was it were you sure it was an Asian lady? No, 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 no. it was a white lady. It was a white lady. Yeah, that's right. That's Go see the white that would be true in Canada
0: too. Like I'm sure I've had that conversation.
2: You know, and I'm not necessarily saying that's wrong because it's a way to describe a person, right? But the humanizing factor is how about we proper nouns? What was her what was her name? Oh, her name was Vanessa. Go see yeah. Vanessa. Let's let's make her a human instead of the Asian lady helped me, you know. And you know, for example, my brother, his name is Will. He's the colored man who was knowledgeable. If he was so it's a good at, review, you know. It's yeah, it's a five-star review. And it's like, eh, it's kind of like if I was to say, Oh yeah, the woman with the big breasts was so good at whole whole foods. She was she was a great manager. It would be totally inappropriate.
0: Yeah, agreed.
2: It would be totally inappropriate. And and I just think we're in a point where it's not gonna change with us, but I think if we have that conversation enough, I think it's something that could shift. And then you mentioned you said that you were trying to learn about, you know, your privilege and like um, amplifying voices. It's you asked me like what came up a lot. So much has come up.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So I've seen and I've seen lots of uh, white creators say, "Hey, I'm going to mute my page. I'm not going to talk. I'm going to use this time to learn, educate myself, and." Um, to amplify people of color, <laughs> POC, I think is what the term people are using. People of colors' voices. So, com- being completely transparent, there's two feelings that I have with that. First is I want to acknowledge that as white guilt—that's being white and being guilty for finally seeing um, the anger, the pain, the struggle. Finally, seeing what's happening. So it's like a white—it's—it's it's like a guilt trip almost, right? That's that a lot of white people do when they first start learning about this stuff, they Mm -hmm. guilt trip themselves because it's like, damn, like how could I be 30 years old and have no clue? Which it's like, it's actually, you know, it's like kind of the fault of the system. Like that's how the system is created. It's the fault of your parents for hiding you from this. But see, that is what I want to say is like, I personally don't want any white voices muted because I don't want any voices muted period i want people who have something good to say to be able to speak there's countries where they marginalize their internet and control their internet i don't like that you know we still have a society where when it comes to women we want to marginalize and put their voice down and we act like as men we have all all the marbles yeah why do we have to do that me i'm i am confident in my masculinity I don't have to tell a woman to be quiet because she's a woman. I don't have to put her down. It has That that doesn't hurt me. That doesn't hold me back. Her thriving doesn't hurt me at all. Mm-hmm. If she wins, I win. That's because I have abundance mindset. If you win, I win. Because if you win and I ask you, how did you win? What did you do? And you've done this in your own business with me. I've asked you like, hey, how did you do this? What did you do with, with this? Where was this? And you're like, okay, here's the information. People have to get out of this scarcity mindset. And that's what that's what race does to us, is it puts us in a scarcity mindset where we're not thinking in abundance. We're not thinking about uh, winning. We're not thinking about the fact that there's enough for everybody. I don't want any white voices muted. I don't want any white people with privilege to not speak because what I want you to do is exactly what you're doing with this podcast. You are introspecting, you're questioning, you're thinking, you're trying to find, I want that to be done in public. I don't want people to come out and say, oh, we got the answers now because I don't have the answers. I want it to be dialogue. Like me, and you are having where we can just openly talk. It's not judgmental. It's not, you're right. You're wrong. It's like, no, like let's create a dialogue. Okay. This is what I am. And, and, and this is what I don't understand. You know, I don't want any white voices muted, especially white voices of power, because the white voices with power, those are the ones that are going to make the biggest shifts, the, the biggest shifts. Because, you know, I follow uh, Bryn Brown on Instagram. I just started following her. She does great work. Right. I went on her Instagram today. I couldn't see the whole post, but she shared. Uh, I think her name is Brianna Taylor, the young lady who was literally in her home sleep and she was murdered by the police. Right. That's bad policing. Right. Mm -hmm. That's bad policing. As far as I know. Now, I'm also not the type of person that's going to speak on things if I don't know all the details. And when it comes to that, I don't know all the details. But what I do know is Bryn Brown, she shared the post. She literally gave emails and phone numbers of people who can make a difference. She said, hey, call this person, email this person. These are the people investigating or who are in charge or who can investigate. Like, go there. She is one of the most powerful white voices in the world. That's what it's going to take. It's not going to take her saying, hey, I need to be silent. I need to amplify black voices as much as I can respect that and honor that. And I see where that's coming from. I don't need to be screaming any further about racism as a black person because it falls on deaf ears. Most people don't. Most white people who believe what they believe about what we're talking about, they don't want to hear from me anyways. So why do I have to scream louder? Why do I have to show my pain more? Why do I have to pick the scabs of things that I've been trying to heal for 34 years? Why do I have to use my platform to talk about racism, to talk about any form of it? I shouldn't have to do that. It should be white people who have power saying, hold on, bro. We're not going to talk like that about people because white people of power are in these group text message threads. Quarterback from Georgia. A quarterback from Georgia just got drafted by the Bills. Is in text messages saying, "I'm a white elite." That's the shit that has to stop. Then the girl screenshotted it and shared it, and now they're texting her. They're like, "Hey, can you can you delete this?" He's gonna lose his job from the Bills. Nah, forget your job from the Bills. Seventy five percent of the people you're playing football with are black. Like you're being fake to them. Like we need genuine, we need genuine actions. You know, I posted yesterday. Uh, I have a text message community and in my text message community, I send a text every day to people. I posted yesterday. I just said, Hey, if you want to join the text message community, uh, just send a text and this dude comes on my page and he comments and says, condemn the riots. And I commented, I said, Hey bro, just like that. I said, Hey bro, don't ever come on my page making demands of me ever. I don't know you. I don't have a relationship with you just because there's racial energy going on in the, in the world you think you can just come and tell me what to do name one time i've been on the internet for 8 years posting things name one time i've ever went on anybody's page and told them what to do with their platform you can't do it never i've never told any brands any brands that have been canceled any brands that have post posted hate bs i haven't told them what to do that's that's what they wanted to do i observe it i understand Bro, don't come on my page from your private pof- profile. When we have no interactions, we've never had direct message. You've never commented n- with no emails, no interaction, and you're yelling at me. Who do you think you are? That is entitlement. Mm. Get the fuck out of here, man. You can't do that to me. You can't do that to me because if you were sitting with me, I just had I just had a sandwich for lunch, dude. It was I told you about
0: it. Before. I, did, I don't yeah, yeah. Dude, are underrated. I love.
2: Dude, it. sandwiches are so overrated. Okay, it was a chicken parmesan. Oh, chicken parmesan. Dude, it was so good. It was only like 10 bucks too. If I'm eating my chicken parmesan sandwich and I'm just sitting down at at lunch, okay, social distancing, and you come up, me and my little son sitting eating in D, and you say, condemn the riots. There is nowhere where I'm ever going to preach violence, ever. But I'm definitely going to whoop your ass because you are completely evading my personal space. With a lot of hostility, and I feel threatened now, especially because I'm with my son. I definitely feel threatened. I mean, I might be able to ask you to leave, but with that level of hostility, I'm gonna have to squash it. That's how you set a healthy boundary with that. And I am not preaching violence whatsoever. But how come we can get on the internet and then we can just talk to people however the hell we want? I mean, like, that's so true.
0: You know, I'm <laughs> on the internet, they send a dick pic. You don't whip your wiener out in Starbucks like you can't Oh yeah, you're so hot. Here it is. No <laughs> dude, it's consequences. Agreed. But you know, that's where we get these, you know, internet bullies and I noticed since I've been posting the content I've been posting that one I'll get like the odd, you know, uh, comment that says all lives matter blah blah blah. And I'm like, and then the 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 community curates that shit. It's a Oh, they handle squash. it. And then I've also noticed that I've gotten bots. I've never gotten bots, really, because I don't, I, you know, I write about love, relationship. But now that I'm writing about a view and also about support, I notice that I'm getting some bots. And bots go at your soul. They are programmed oh, to get you. And I was like, you know, feeling the little kid in me that wants to like be liked by everybody, which he can't exist with an opinion, so he's got to be nurtured, but he doesn't get to talk. And I was just like, I was saying to, um, one of the women that works with me, I was saying, like, should I just block them? Like, I want to ask why they're mad. <laughs> She's like, just block them. Like, why are you even wait? But it's so interesting how it brings up our stuff. So I'll tell you this, I've been
2: posting and, and the thing is is my content is not over the eight years of me creating content, it has never been about race. I've mm-hmm. never leveraged race in my content. Never really had to say anything. And I think part of the reason why I might have had a, a vibrational shift in me is because just looking at my kid, man, I, I just want a different world for him. And I think mm-hmm. I think I had reached a point of defeat where I just accepted it and I just said, hey, man, like there's just going to be a lot of racist people in the world. That's just the way it is. Um, but I think recently I've reached a point where. I think because I, I have a voice in a quote unquote platform and quote unquote power, as people always say. I think I have a responsibility to talk with people just to create the conversation. Because there are some, like I got one lady I went on Instagram live, and she was like, Hey, you know, I'm a mother of two, uh living in, you know, rural America. There's really nobody by us, like no people at all. And I'm just wondering how to talk to my kids about this. So, you know, when they see a black person or Hispanic, like they're not like shocked.
1: Mm-hmm. And it was a
2: question that I couldn't directly answer, but we talked about it, and we just we just kept creating conversation around it and I think that I don't know her um, or her kids, but I think because we created that conversation, I think she's more equipped to
0: prepare her kids for that situation where that question is is enough you know that her kids yeah. will uh, maintain a form of curiosity. Know you might observe that someone's skin is a different color, but it will be like, Why is that? What does that mean? Which is, you know, there was at some point in human history that race was became a thing, you know, where we were all just humans, and then at some point, someone made there be a separation based on skin color, which Mm. is really fascinating. I, I don't know the evolution of that, and I think any. Uh, theory on it would be postulated because it was obviously thousands and thousands of years ago. You know, I think about what you said um, in regards to the muting. And I wanted to just bring back to that, which is when I first observed that movement, I actually said that I didn't want to participate in the mute because I thought I will not speak this week, but what there's no, I must use my platform. That's the whole point is, is like, If I don't speak, none of my followers hear anything, you know, they might not, they might be curious, you know, because I was, I wrote about Van Jones the other day. I heard him on a podcast and he said, I follow people who I completely disagree with and people who hate me. He's like, because the world will curate the news for you and you'll only get news you like. You'll only get stuff that agrees with what you think. And he's like, but I don't do that. He's like, and the reason I don't do that, he's like, I follow white supremacists on Twitter. He's like, I do that because when I sit down with them, I can sit down with them with love for their where they've been, who raised them with that hate. And I I was so, this was you know, probably about a year ago that I heard that podcast and I remember it sticking with me so much because I thought about unfollowing people that I didn't like the content of their stuff. That was just, uh, opposite of how I thought. And it made me, cause he said, how privileged are you that you can't even be uncomfortable with information? And I was like, ah, oh, shit, that's so true. Oh, I align with that. I,
2: I agree. I, I, I'm going to name drop, you know, and, uh, if you're triggered by the names, Hey, deal with yourself. But <laughs> I look at Joe Biden's page every day. I look at Bernie Sanders' page every day. I look at Donald Trump's page every day. All right? Uh, Laura Ingram, I look at her page every day. She's a, she's a political commentator. I look at Van Jones. I look at CNN. I look at Fox News every single day. I look at both sides of... See, here's the thing. You look in America, 36% are Democrats. 36% are Republicans. The rest are independents. So we have a country. There's 350 million people. So on any given day, I'm going to come across Republicans, Democrats, independents. I'm going to come across black, white. I'm going to come across young, old. I'm going to come across experienced, unexperienced. So to me, if like Van Jones said, like if you're only willing to follow what you know, then that means you're looking for confirmation bias. Yes. And psychology confirmation bias is I want everything to confirm what I already think, what I already know, what I already believe, who I am. What that is, is a lack of security in self. I don't have lack of security in self. Even though I know myself, I am not done growing. Therefore, I need to be tuned in to other frequencies. I need to be tuned in to other thought because I need to know because I'm a citizen of the world. So I come across all types of people. So I want to know what do they think? You know, I, you know, I follow on Twitter, Justin Trudeau. Hmm. I'm not. I, I'm not a citizen of Canada. You might be though. One day. You me? never know. You're coming. I follow. Out. I listen. He had a speech the other day. Someone asked him about Trump. It took him 21 seconds to respond. He had to think and gather his his thoughts, and he didn't say how he felt because I know human behavior mm-hmm. and I know yeah, and, I, and I know energy, and he didn't say how he felt. And I I wish I I, I should have tweeted him and I said, Hey, bro say how you feel but canadians you guys are so nice so you guys yeah, don't
0: it's really contrived though it's <laughs> loaded bullshit. we're codependent that's what we are okay,
2: okay may- i mean maybe that's what it is but you know i
0: mean we're like overtly nice but you never <laughs> know our true opinion
2: i i would just love the balance between that and what american politicians are because american politicians are just cutthroat savage talk about For you sure. talk about your yeah. mama talk about your kids like nothing's off limits like they just they just go too
0: far. Like I just they just go way too far. Well, they and- dehumanize it. You know, there's like yeah. a thing in American, but I'd say it's uh, a lot of news where we don't see that on the other end. As you were saying, the guy who messaged you and said condemn the riots. we don't see that. There's actually a human with history and experience. And you know, I think a lot too about you know how quick we are to cancel someone because we found out they did something in 1999 or 2003 mm-hmm. or whatever if they've grown and changed, you know, like I think we're so afraid of giving people a chance to grow and change because we haven't come to terms with our own skeletons. It's so easy to focus on someone else's skeleton. Mm. You know? um, so we cancel other people because we cancel old versions of ourselves, you know, but if we can meet ourselves with grace, if we can meet other people with grace, then we can listen. And, you know, as you were saying, like the confirmation bias, I, 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 I have had to learn in order to have successful meaningful unconditionally loving relationships I've had to learn how to hold two opposing views at the same time and both be true you know like to to know that I have to learn and also hold space for the anger that is rightfully coming not my way but at the way of how I identify and I'm so open to that because I know that the path is to be uncomfortable to listen, because then I can sit with you and and have compassion for your experience. And as you, you know, I said at the start, I loved how you said that empathy and witnessing someone's anger and pain and struggle is the path to healing. Without that, you just bypass it. Well, I mean, what are we going to
2: do if you're in a romantic relationship and someone hurts your feelings, which happens? we all do it. What do you do? Well, most people Well, I'm not going to say most people. Most people who want to heal and fix the relationship will be assertive, bring up the hurt, create a space to talk about it. Both partners will be willing participants in a healing conversation to acknowledge what they did to each other. If even if it was one-sided, acknowledge what I did to you. Bring it up, talk about it, talk about possible solutions, how we can move on from this energy that we created, align and then give the person space to heal from what happened after they've been apologized to, aligned and then behavior has now changed. That's how you heal a relationship. That's like literally the formula that's never happened in America. Like you got to think about American culture when it comes to black people has and even women like that's why when you know they had the women's march in twenty sixteen. I'm like, dude, I get it. No, I totally get it. (laughs) it, I get it.
0: That I agree. It's I love what you said that you're so secure in your masculinity that it actually empowers you to have empowered women. And same for me. Like when my partner is angry and infused about life or about anything, I'm like, yes, there is so much space for your voice. Let me get out of the way. One of the main things, like one of the best things guys
2: do in relationships is when we can just feel a woman's energy and we just say, hey, what's wrong? And she hasn't even brought it up. Like he is sensing that something is wrong. Hey, what's wrong? And as a a woman, you know, most women, because they're used to being shamed, they say stuff like, oh, nothing. They're super dismissive. No, nothing. It's no, it's no big deal. But dude, I can hear your tone of voice, and you're fuming inside. (laughs) You want to talk about this in five years? You're gonna bring it up at some point, and you want to just let's just solve it now. Write me a letter. Shoot me a text. uh, Talk to me. Give me. I'll give you an hour. But you're literally dying inside right now. Like your soul is screaming that you want to be heard. Like I hear you. What's up? That's what Black Americans want America to do. We don't want to hear the politicians saying, you know, uh, the dismissive shit they've been saying. We want to hear them say, you're right. What we, white American, the white
0: government have done over hundreds of years is wrong. And, And if you think like, again, not an expert on this, just have some human development theories here. The reason that Black people live in America is because of slavery originally. And so I was listening to a speaker on Russell Brand's podcast talking about this, saying that, well, when slavery was quote unquote abolished, it you all of a sudden, you know, you have 40 million black people to here are in the United States, that all of a sudden you had people you didn't need. <laughs> right. And I was like, oh my gosh, that is the framework of all of it is is all of a sudden you, these people are disposable and i watched this, uh, about a year ago i watched that documentary on netflix called 13 have you watched that uh no
2: i, I don't I, i've seen enough i'm <laughs> I'm, I'm, well, I'm well educated
1: so yeah yeah yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm well educated on on history here in america and i don't watch any of the new slave movies when people are getting uh murdered oh. or mistreatment in videos i don't watch them um because they they undo old wounds and i don't i don't need that I know what's going on and i've 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 studied enough to have a objective understanding of what's happening um but yeah when there was no slavery what they did was they exploited black labor that's what they did and yeah. they allow they allow black people to build this country literally off this country was built off the black uh off the back of black people being exploited and And it's like the deeper you dive into it, you know, we can start a conversation and it's like, okay, let's talk about racism. But the deeper you dive into it, when you have an understanding of human behavior, how healthy functioning relationships work, it's obvious to see that if you remove all your biases, you know, Democrat, Republican, black, white woman, you can see the system is severely flawed.
0: Yes. It's
2: severely flawed. like. Maybe you don't agree with every element of it. Maybe you think me saying, hey, we need more small business is a dumb idea. Even on that, people are going to disagree and argue with each other. It's severely flawed. You're working at Best Buy. They need to pay you more money. You're working at Target. They need to pay you more money. Well, now an an economist is going to come and say, I probably said that wrong, but they're going to come and say, well, to make more money, you need to have more value. The people who offer more value in the economy is going to get paid more. I agree. Like I totally understand, but I don't agree with them working 40 hours a week and not being able to pay basic bills and rent. Clearly, some there's a disconnect. Are our housing prices too high? Yes. Are our wages too low? Yes. So where like where's the give and take gonna come from? It's gonna be from us as citizens putting pressure on each other and politicians to make changes like we got to get screaming
0: about the changes we need we can't just accept it you know i noticed at the marches i was talking to some friends uh the other day about this at the protests and the marches and all the things it's uh it's all young people and it's all young people of every race and i was talking to my friend who's chinese about this and he was saying to me like because in a lot of canada was built on the backs of chinese And so, you know, and and we don't treat our indigenous population well either. And we don't, our reparations are not reparations. I mean, the amount of pain that is living in the genetic imprints of people is incredible. It's painful to have been someone who is a slave owner. Like I don't, like from a systemic, to be able to dehumanize someone that much, if that still lives in you today, which it does in a biased, unconscious way. If you're not willing to look at that and just feel what it's like to know that your gener- your lineage had those types of hearts, those types of, that lack of empathy. And the challenge is, is that that's how systemic it is, is that the same drive that gets to excessive wealth, our, our world, our markets celebrate capitalism, right? They celebrate narcissism. Because if you're willing to, do something with your business at the cost of someone's at someone's health to make more money you have to be devout of any empathy and so yeah. the same people who were able to do things to humans in american history but canadian history too and i think every country you know it has its own histories is if you were able to do that that same lineage allows you to to do it at any cost and our world still celebrates that look at the what covid is going to have created in terms of more redistribution of wealth all of the it's not walmart walmart was open you couldn't go to the beach but you were allowed to go to walmart you know like the the idea that like when all the small businesses are the ones that had to close during covid there are, a, a lot of them are decimated now those are all middle class, lower middle class, upper middle class people who are employing people. And now they're a lot of them are gone. And the, where's all that money going to go? It's all going to get redistributed to more bank loans, more credit card debt, more ways of keeping people in the cycles. And I think, you know, we have, there's been a lot more conversation about this, but we have a lot of psychopathic consciousness that runs our countries, that runs the government's but I also think like the people running the governments are not necessarily the people we vote for. They're all the systems that run in the backgrounds, the families that keep inheriting positions. They're all politically connected. I'm gonna rub your back, you rub mine. I'll give your kid a job here. You do this. You put some money in my little donor account. I'm gonna drain the swamp and and then make it more swampy. You know, like it's a, and people believe lies. You know, it's so normal for us to just hear a lie and be like. Oh yeah, he lied, but it's okay because you know he's a politician. It's okay for politicians to lie. And I just see all that and I'm like, man, the, the people making decisions about women's health are usually old white guys. And that don't make that doesn't make any sense. Oh man, we're deciding whether a woman is allowed to. I mean, I don't know about you, but knowing what an angry woman can be like, I'm not making decisions for them. I don't know what their bodies are like. Dude. I have such honor to that body, to that, that, that they are the portal.
2: My team of people is we got to be diverse. I need, Oh yeah. Because Here's the thing. Um, uh, our countries are diverse countries. So we need diverse leadership because we, we need to be able to make, you know, the, it's a very hard job. You know, it's a very hard job to be yeah. in any type of position of power because there's so many things that you are balancing. Uh, even in the small positions of power that me and you have, It's still hard because consciously there's a lot that you have to balance and you have to be mindful of what you're doing because you're you're literally impacting the way people think or feel. And, you know, when you're making a policy that is going to change people's lives, it's hard. Like I I submit to that, but I don't think I can only do that in the most efficient way with people who literally think like me. I think I need people in my group who literally think opposite of me. I think we need to be able, I said, look, this is exactly how I feel. I need to hire someone if I get elected or put on who thinks opposite so we can sit and have that dialogue and have that conversation so we can make sure that every person is accounted for through hearing, through empathy, you know, because I'm I'm sitting here and I'm going to, I'm flat out saying, look, we need 52 weeks. That's what I, that's what I'm running for. We need 52 weeks for maternity leave. Someone on the team, it could be a woman who's had 52 weeks. She might have a better idea. Her idea might be instead of 12, 12 is wrong. She might say, hey, let's go to 36. And here's the reason why. You things, know, things you might never have thought about things I could have never thought about. What if what about what about the women who do stay out for a year and they get depression? What about the introvert women who have kids and then. Their work was their outlet for their emotions and for their feelings and for their connectivity to other people. Right. So for me, that's what I really would love is just to see, like, maybe the term is diversity boards, just boards of diversity of people, uh, even the people in power sharing. But it's not a hey, let me break you down because the way you think sucks. Like, no, no, no. Let's let's create space where everyone can share their opinion and then let's bring them together. You know, the way I feel like our country is ran, we're just ran by a billionaire who just delegates tasks because that's how, you know, he runs his company. He just delegates tasks. You handle COVID. You handle race. You handle this. Let me take this photo. You know, and I'm not going to take away. I believe in giving credit what credit is due. Uh, I think that the sitting president has done some good things from a from a policy standpoint. I think that his rhetoric. Way off. Yeah, I agree.
0: Way off from touching and connecting the majority. Well, he think- lacks empathy. I mean, he doesn't take feedback well. He doesn't like not being liked. I mean, he—he he really is sort of the encapsulation of narcissism. Right, right. And and
2: I know someone's going to listen and they're going to say, "Oh, you're a black guy. You love Obama." No, here's what I'm going to say. Obama policies, he did okay. There's some things I didn't like. Personhood. I love his personhood. I love his energy. I love his empathy. I love his ability to talk uh, and align with us. There are some things that he did. I didn't like same thing uh, with 45. There are some things he did that I like. There's also some things he's I did. 45? 45, Forty-five. Uh, current president, 45.
0: Oh, oh shit. I didn't know. That's like the slang for your president. You Fifth. go by their number. Yeah. He's um, 45th. So, okay. So, I do want to bring it back to what you said about the U.S. building being built off the backs of blacks. Oh, man. Did you want me to bookmark that? How much time you got? Well, I think this is important for people to, um, you know, hear. And, And one thing I remember I wanted to speak to you about previously, but I think it's relevant now. And I think maybe as part of this conversation, why don't you start and I'll see if it flows in. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I remember saying to you that, like, when I was growing up, because I was born in 78, so, you know, through the 80s, I I remember growing up in the late 80s, early 90s, and there being a real, like, black culture being inspiring to youth in a lot of ways. Like, rap music was rebellious. That there, And I remember thinking, like, looking back, how much there was a – I want to say that um, – that people were inspired by the outspoken nature and the willingness to say things at the cost of, you know, disrupting systems and all those things. And I really think in a lot of ways, as, as uh, and I can't speak for white people, but I, my experience was that we've just sort of um, accepted that this is the way the system is, and we obviously benefit from it, so why question it? But I think there was, because there was such authenticity, and I was telling you that I'd go over to my friends' families who were any cultural background, people of color, and especially I think of like my Haitian friends, my St. Lucian friends, there was so much love in their homes. And there was love in my home, but there was like this community, this sense of just generations at the, at the dinners, and there was a real, I think, in the in the development of our cultures, because there was less privilege to those communities, they held on to community more. And we've really lost a sense of community in a lot of ways. And I don't want to say for white people, but it kind of feels that way that there, you know, we we don't have generations living in our homes and the Italians do. So that's not really fair. But I do remember that being something that was sort of inspiring growing up. And I don't know if that brings up anything for you. Hmm.
2: So. First, you know, I don't want to come on here and say that everyone's family is like perfect or anything like mm, it's, it's some assholes in my family, too.
0: You know, <laughs> it's yeah, yeah, I mean, I might be the <laughs> asshole. Yeah. I've
2: probably been an a hole in my family plenty of times, especially when I started setting boundaries. Because that's when people are like, "Oh, you're you're new. You're 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 you're, you're, you're saying no to this. You're damn right the family system." <laughs> right? No, no, no. Let us take advantage of you. No, nope, not anymore, buddy. So I'm going to read you something. This comes from theconversation.com. dot uh, com. The article title is "Exploiting Black Labor After the uh, uh, Exploiting Black Labor After." the i can never say this word right after, it should be after the abolishment of slavery that's why i'm not saying it right cuz they don't have the right context of the word. the word they have just abolition just abolition of slavery it should be abolishment that makes abolition sense abolition yeah i think it's just a different so here's what it says um this is about half the way down it says uh, ironically white leaders found a solution in the 13th amendment 13th Amendment is the amendment in um, the U.S. Constitution that freed slavery, freed freed the slaves, passed by uh, Abraham Lincoln, who was from Illinois, where I'm from. 1865, United States, uh, Abraham Lincoln passed the 13th Amendment. Uh, So by exploiting the provision, allowing slavery, and it was a thing called involuntary servitude. So after slavery, the United States of America went to involuntary servitude. So the way they set that up is they wanted to continue uh, to continue as or a punishment for a crime. So what they did was they took advantage of a penal system predating the Civil War. And it was even used during Reconstruction. So Reconstruction is a time period after the Civil War. The Civil War. So you had slaves. Then you had the Civil War. The reason the Civil War happened in America um, is because the North and the South fought. So essentially, that was everything east of the Mississippi River. That's what America was at the time. And there was a north side of that side of. So Illinois, New York, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Indiana, all of those states versus the south, Georgia, Georgia. South Carolina, North Carolina, Mississippi, Alabama, those are referred to as like the deep South. That's like, that's literally where the most racist people are in the country, right? They're still to this day. And that's because that's where the big slave plantations were. So you had slave times, you had the civil war. Then you had uh, the 13th amendment, which abolished slavery. After that we had what was called reconstruction, which was when America just started building. I mean, just started building trains, railroads, new buildings, literally reconstructing the country because we had just went through this war that just destroyed so much of the country. Right. So it says a new form of control with the help of profiteering industrialists. They found yet a new way to build wealth on the bound labor of black Americans. The system was called the convict lease system. And here's how it worked. Black men and sometimes women and children were arrested and convicted for crimes enumerated in the black codes. The black codes are state laws criminal criminalizing petty offenses and aimed at keeping free people tied to their for- former owners, plantations and farms. The most sinister crime was vagrancy, the crime of being unemployed, which brought a large fine that few Black people could afford to pay. So let me see if I understand you right. You free, quote unquote, slaves and then institute laws that were in place from when they were slaves to punish them. And one of the laws is, hey, if you don't have a job, we're going to return you back to the plantation to now you're going to you're going to work for free because you are an indentured server. So your debt is going to be given to the slave owner. So you're going to pay your debt off to the slave owner now by continuing slave work. So that's the freedom y'all are talking about. Mm-hmm. Literally, this is them targeting black people by saying, yeah, we're going to we're going to use this black hole, state laws, petty offenses. It sounds like they're making this shit up to keep
0: people down. they just making what they were doing. They're just making that's stuff called up. called propaganda. That's we're called marketing. We're going to free you,
2: but oh yeah, you're an adventure servitude now. And since you have a debt because you don't have a job, we're going to send you back to that slave plantation you were at because you owe him, but he can pay, pay the money off for you. So you're just going to work for free now. How does that sound? Oh, guess what? It doesn't matter how it sounds. Get going. Okay. So that's literally what happened. So black convicts were leased to private companies. Black convicts. It should say human beings. Because it it will make it human. Black convicts were leased to private companies, typically industries profiteering from the region's untapped natural resources. As many as 200,000 black Americans were forced into backbreaking labor in coal mines, turpentine factories, lumber camps. They lived in squalid conditions, chained, starved beaten, flogged, and sexually violated. They died by the thousands from injury, disease,
0: and torture. And do you think that a lot of Americans actually know that history? Like in school, were you taught about that part?
2: Hell no, you weren't taught about that. Of course, right? Yeah, Black History Month. You know what they told us about? Martin Luther King was so nice, and he led a protest, and he brought the country together. They didn't tell us that he was hosed. They didn't tell us that people threw bricks at him. They didn't tell us he got death threats every day. They didn't tell us that he was shot and assassinated. They didn't tell us that white people at the time hated him. They didn't tell us that. They literally changed just like they do with Christopher Columbus. Christopher Columbus came to America and found the country. He came here and he killed the indigenous people. They raped the women who were here. They killed children. They literally... Uh, what what is it called when you they scout Native Americans? But we still have Christopher Columbus Day here where we celebrate him. He doesn't deserve to be celebrated, mm. but this is America. Like Donald Glover said, this is America. Of course, people don't know about this. You know, I'm going to tell you about something that. Uh, So you can look up something called the Jim Crow laws. Okay, the new Jim Crow It's the same same stuff. It's law. It's literally laws that they have been instituted to keep people down. Jim Crow uh, was a slave owner. So what they wanted to do was keep his ideologies uh, intact. So that's why it's called the Jim Jim Crow law. But I want to switch subjects because I want to I want to tell you about. You could type
0: this in right now yourself. They they could watch 13 and that 13 is about the 13th Amendment leading to uh, eventually the war on drugs, which is, again, war on blacks. So it's a very fascinating documentary.
2: Do this with me. Type in the Willie Lynch letter. Willie Lynch, W-I-L-L-I-E Lynch, L-Y-N-C-H letter. Got it. Okay. So it's probably going to be the second link from finalcall.com. Yeah. Got it. Okay. So, what this is, Willie Lynch letter. Have you ever heard of this? No. Okay. So, Willie Lynch, he was a, a famous slave owner from the West Indies. So, what America wanted to do was they wanted to bring him over so he could teach Americans how to break the slaves, how to break black people's mindsets, and how to control them for hundreds of years. So, I'm not going to read you the whole thing because it is a long, long speech he gave, but it's there. You can read it. But here's what I'm going to read. Okay. He said, gentlemen, I greet you here on the bank of the James river in the year of our Lord and 1712. And it's so funny too. people who want to control you. They always bring up God. They always bring up religion. And then they want to control you right after that. First, I shall thank you. The gentlemen of the colony of Virginia for bringing me here. I'm here to help you solve some of your problems with your slaves because slaves were trying to speak up. They were acting out. They were trying to revolt. They were trying to fight back. They were trying to escape these inhumane conditions. Does that sound familiar? Trying to fight back from the system like Chuck D said, like, fight the power you we were talking about the hip hop music you love fight the power to be doesn't that sound like the tune that white black people have been speaking literally our entire existence in america so they literally brought the best slave owner ever there willie lynch and he says your invitation reached me on my modest plantation in the west indies where i have experimented with some of the newest and still the oldest methods for control of slaves ancient rome would Envy us if my program is implemented As our boat sailed south on the James River Named for our illustrious king Whose whole uh, version of the Bible we cherish I saw enough to know that your problem is not unique Meaning black people trying to stand up for themselves no. That's not unique While Rome used cords and of wood as crosses For standing human bodies along its highways in great numbers You are here using the tree and the rope On occasions, what he's referring to is how when black people acted out, they would lynch black people. There would be no trial. They would just lynch them just for sport. Almost. I caught the whiff of a dead slave hanging from a tree. I'm going to read it again. I caught the whiff of a dead human being hanging from a tree a couple miles back. You are not losing valuable stock by hangings. You are having uprisings. Slaves are running free. Your cops are sometimes left in the fields too long for maximum profit. You suffer occasional fires. Your animals are killed, gentlemen. You know what your problems are. I do not need to elaborate. I am not here to enumerate your problems. I'm here to introduce you to a method of solving them. This is the, this. Listen to this, okay. In my bag here, I have a foolproof method for controlling your black slaves. I guarantee every one of you that if installed correctly, it will control the slaves for at least 300 years. My method is simple. Any member of your family or overseer can use it. I have outlined a number of differences among the slaves, and I take these differences and make them bigger. I use fear distrust and envy for control purposes these methods have worked on my modest plantation in the west indies and they will work throughout the south this is simple on top of my list is age but it only starts with an a okay Uh, it is only there because it starts with an a the second is color or shade then there is intelligence size sex sizes of plantations status on plantations, attitude of owners, whether the slaves live in the valley, on a hill, east, west, north, south, have fine hair, coarse hair, or is tall or short. Now that you have a list of differences, I shall give you an outline of action. But before that, I shall assure you that distrust is stronger than trust, envy stronger than adulation, respect or admiration. The black slaves, after receiving this indoctrination, shall carry on and will become self refueling and self generating for hundreds of years. Maybe thousands. Don't forget, you must pitch the old black male versus the young black male and the young black male against the old black male. You must use dark skin versus light skin and light skin versus dark skin, which if you look that up, that's called colorism. Okay. Mm -hmm. And you must use the female versus the male and the male versus the female. You must also have the white servants and overseers to distrust all blacks, but it is necessary that your slaves trust and depend on us. They must love, respect, and trust only us. Gentlemen, these kids are your keys to control use them. Have your wives and children use them. Never miss an opportunity. If used intensely for one year, the slaves themselves will remain perpetually distrustful. Now, gentlemen, let's make a slave. So my friend, Mark Groves, that is why I don't want white voices silent. Because Willie Lynch came here and said, You need your wives on board. You need your servants on board. You need the help on board. You need the whole establishment on board to break a slave's mindset to keep them slaves for hundreds, if not thousands of years. So if we're going to sit up here and we're going to post black squares on the internet that don't do a damn thing, when we get done with those those squares, what we need to do is we need our, our white wives, our white husbands, our white friends, our white teammates, our white people who run businesses and politicians and podcasts and the ones who claim to care to really care. We need them to speak for hundreds and thousands of years because they and only them have the ability to break the slave mindset and the chains of slavery that have been given to us because most black people don't even know about the Willie Lynch letter. Most black people don't even know that this is is literally the psychology of what America ran on. Not not, Not old America, America ran on. So before we can heal our relationship, I need this acknowledged. I need the government to acknowledge this. They want to talk about reparations. We don't need no damn money. Yeah, we built all of this and we should have been paid for our labor. How about some acknowledgement? I'm sorry that we had slaves. I'm sorry that we did that to our American people. Don't tell me we want to make America great again until you make it great the first time. Mm -hmm. Apologize for this. Align with this. Change your behavior on this. Don't tell me anymore. I don't want to hear... I don't want to hear Democrat. I don't want to hear Republican. I want to hear, I'm sorry for what we put you through. Let's come together. Don't tell me this is a time to align and you're not the one aligning. You're still spewing the same rhetoric that aligns with Willie Lynch. I don't want to hear it. I want to hear all white people saying, no, we're going to talk about this Mm -hmm. because I'm not in the group chats. I'm not on the CEO boards. I'm not at, and I I don't want to stereotype, but I live in Arizona. It's mostly mostly white men and some white women, but mostly white men who go golfing here. It's a big thing here, golfing. We have a huge golf community. So I'm not on the golf course. You guys need to be the ones, when you hear those jokes, when you hear these racist jokes, when you hear the sitting president of the United States, because uh, I think it's the First Amendment that says we have the right to free, free speech. We have the right to protest. So when Colin Kaepernick, an American citizen, peacefully protests, And you have the president of that country call him and anyone else who protests a son of a bitch and Americans back that because of political ideologies. That's wrong. That's wrong. And then they want to say, well, I respect the flag and I respect my grandfather who fought. I respect my father who fought. My father was in the army. Okay, Drew Brees, your grandfather did go and fight in World War II. What about our grandfathers who went as well? And then white people want to gaslight you and they want to come on your page and say, condemn the riots. Mark Groves, do you know about the riots of Tulsa? You don't know? Let's let's just Google it real quick, Mark Groves. (laughs) Type in riots in Tulsa. Let's just let's just see what comes up. The Tulsa Race Massacre, also called the Tulsa Race Riot, the Greenwood Massacre, or the Black Wall Street Massacre, or of 1921, took place. On May 31st, and June 1st, it was a two-day massacre.
0: This is the repeat of the line that um, Trump had to, if they start looting, we start shooting. Is that correct? I think that was from, I thought that was from the Tulsa. Let's look it up.
2: Let's see. Let's see. I don't even want to read it. I'm tired of reading it. I'm tired of looking at this stuff. I'm tired of it. Let your people look. Let your people look. Google it. They can look it up. Let your people look it up. Let your people look up the Tuskegee Airmen. Let them look that up. Tuskegee Airmen. The Tulsa race massacre. Jim Crow laws. Look this stuff up. Educate yourself. You're asking how can you help get educated on the pain that all black Americans have because the pain is perpetrated in the ideologies and practices. That white Americans are ignorant about. Ignorant just means to not know.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Okay. You've all heard of Martin Luther King. Have you heard of Emmett Till? Have you heard of Megger Evers? You've heard of the Black Panthers? Okay. So... I saw a group of white people in Michigan storm a government building with AK-47s and assault rifles and the police had restraint and they stood there. And these white people, this happened three to four weeks ago. They were upset because they couldn't get a haircut, Mark Groves, because coronavirus shut down the economy. So they stormed a government building over haircuts. And Frosty's because they need Wendy's open and Burger King and they need food and they want to get back. And the police held restraint. Mark Groves, one of the common narratives that young black men like my son will one day be a young black man is they are murdered in the streets for holding cell phones, for touching their pockets. Oh, he was reaching in his pocket. I thought he had a gun. I thought he was reaching for a gun. But armed, grown men covering their masks can storm a government building over a haircut. If people don't see the issue with that, I can't help them. Trump can't help you. Barack, Barack can't help you. Instagram can't help you. If that very present day situation, because someone may say, well, all this stuff is in the past. This is a new America. It's like that shit ain't in the past. This was a few weeks ago. If that doesn't stir you up, I can't help you. Think what you want to think. All I'm asking you to do is just look. And I've already told you how I feel. I told you how I feel. I agree with Democrats and Republicans, because the reason I bring that up is in America, People, they try to gaslight you by your political party. Yeah. You guys don't know what my political party is because I've never told you. So how do you know? You don't know. You're assuming that because I'm black, I vote Democrat. Well, I'm telling you, that's not the truth. That's another thing. The black vote. What the hell is the black vote? As if all black people in America have to have monolithic thought. We can only think in one way. We can't think for ourselves. We can't critically think. I just told you I'm a successful entrepreneur. So a lot of what the Republicans have, I really like. I also like what a lot of Democrats have. You know, it's not 90 percent. It's not 90 percent of this country that's conservative or 90 percent that's Democrat. It's about 36 percent each. I'm a person who I've been able to be objective and I can see both sides. So I, I like both. I like I don't agree with everything, but I like some of both. So don't try to typecast me and box me in to. Oh well, you're you're this and you're that. No, no, no. I told you at the beginning, I was raised on love. Regardless of all of this stuff, I'm still raised on love. Period. But regardless of what my grandmother went through, she raised me on love. So at the end of the day, well, no matter what I see, no matter what I look up, I'm going to return back to love. But my question is, are you, are you going to return back to love? Are you going to dismiss what I'm saying because I sound like an angry black man, or are you going to look up the stuff I'm asking you to look up, or 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 what? What are you going to do? You got a choice. My first book is called Success is a Choice. For us to be successful in this generation, we have to we have to be a little bit more conscious of our choices, what we're choosing. Just like you as a white person, a Canadian person are choosing to bring me on because I may be able to give, share a story, idea. Me and you both still have work to do outside of racism because now we need to understand what women are talking about. We need to be more empathetic to their ear. We need to be more empathetic to, you know, it's Pride Month. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means. I need to be, I need to turn my ear to pride and try to understand what they're talking about, what they're going through, what they're what they're doing. Are they being held back for it? I don't know. And I think that this is the time for us as a world community to just become. Genuinely more empathetic mm. to stop looking at things as well. You're gay. You're white. You're black. You're man. You're woman. It's like you know what? Let's just be empathetic to everybody. Like what's going on? You just mentioned the Chinese people who have had suffering in Canada. I don't know anything
0: about that. They built our used to build our railroads, and you know, treated just really poorly. You know, they're put in the most dangerous positions, fed not the right foods. You know really just awful has your government ever acknowledged that um not to the extent that anyone you know they should just like the way we treated our indigenous population we created residential schools and put took indigenous kids from their families and raised them as christians and catholics and thought that our way was the right way and our reparations to that have been minimal you know there was an apology not that long of an apology right like the systemic suffering that occurs is is not solved by just an apology. But as you said, it is, we begin the path to healing when we witness. But a, an apology that comes for political purposes is different than an apology that comes from an authentic place that I can witness your anger and say, you know, Sly, I'm sorry that you went through that. I'm sorry that you've continued to go through this. And how can I help? Like that's a different than... Yeah you know, I know I'll get more votes cause I did this or, you know, something like that. Yep. Man. I'm not. Like, I'm so grateful that you came on and you share this. And I mean, we're, we're not done having conversations because you and I, um, we love to jam and I'm grateful that you shared your anger and really educated us. I mean, I've got a bunch of things to Google now and I do have, uh, I signed up for a a couple courses, one called Spiritual Activism 1 and 2 from Rachel Ricketts, and I'm going to read White Fragility. Just continue to educate myself on the subjects. And I hope that the people listening can – I hope that we can live what you're saying, which, you know, is why I do what I do and why we're having this conversation is – I don't want to leave this earth less, you know, not as great as I found it. I want to leave it better. And I didn't come here to fuck around. Like I didn't come here to, to, to not, I mean, love is why we're alive. And if people don't even feel safe to be themselves, they're not capable of opening their hearts fully. And that breaks my heart to know. And so it is, this is the work, you know, this is the work. To be able to be uncomfortable, to be able to be open to seeing that your privilege doesn't allow you to see things and to be part of the reparation, whatever that even means for each person. I do want to add that a
2: lot of people are doing the work and they may not have platforms like you. And it's very important that they're acknowledged. And it's also important that they understand that sometimes when you start saying things like men, black, white, women, when you start using labels, we do need to. And I think we're dealing with a sophisticated bunch. So I, I think it's pretty much a given, but I want to make sure it's said. It. We're not talking about everyone. You know, it's not everyone. Like when I say, you know, white people, it's not all white people. Like, you know, the first white woman to show me genuine love, emotional love, was my assistant principal when I was going through all my behavior issues that I was dealing with in high school. And again, kind of like my girlfriend in college, she saw my light and she, Maybe she was making 50000 She should have been making a million because she would check on me. What are you doing? Why are you getting in trouble? Why are you in my office? You're better than this. What's going on? And I would tell her, and she would say, Sylvester, you're better than this. Her name was Mrs. Schmidt. You're better than this. Why are you acting this way? I'm going to hold you accountable. And she was hard on me. She was hard on me. And one day I was in her office and she started crying. And this is at work. I mean, she's at work and I'm in her office. I This is like I, I'm in trouble again. And, you know, I'm just sitting there and I'm like, you know, why are you crying? And she goes, I want you to do better than you're doing for yourself. You have so much inside of you. She she showed me love. She showed me love. She treated me like I was her son. She treated me like I was her best friend. She treated me like. Like she just couldn't give up on me, you know, and we didn't stay connected through college. I was going through obviously what I went through. We reconnected. I had my talk last year in Chicago. She came to my talk as my guest, Mm -hmm. Uh, follow each other on Twitter. We have each other's number and she came as my guest and we hugged for like six minutes. And she just cried and she cried and just cried. And she's just like, you know, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of who you become. I'm so proud of you. Like I always saw this in you and, and look at you. Like there's over 150 people here to hear you speak. And I'm just so proud of you. And one of the things I said at that talk, I said, look, what you're seeing today is proof that if you lead with love, like if you really have love in your heart, like you can literally make a difference in someone's life because I was ready to completely give up on myself. I didn't even have a will to live. She was the will for me to live because of what she saw in me. And then when I got to college, the girlfriend that I mentioned at the beginning, she became my will to live because she was like, no, you're, you're, you have too much. You have too much. That was my white assistant principal and that was my white girlfriend. So I don't come on this podcast as angry black men, white people have never done anything to me. Wh- white Two white women have literally changed my life. You wouldn't know my name without them, without them showing me that unconditional love. Without them, they never saw me as a black dude. Never. They just saw me as Sylvester. They just saw me as the proper noun that my brother wanted to be called. They just saw me as a human being, and he, all human beings have problems. If there is some some person who has listened to this whole thing, and all you want to hear from from a black person is for me to say all lives matter, I have no problem saying that because. All lives matter, but don't you dare for a second pretend that all lives matter if you have an issue saying black lives matter. Don't exclude anything. Make sure everything is included. Make sure everything is included. And this is the other thing I'm gonna say. You know, I got kicked out the house. Or I got kicked out the house when I was 17, and I needed to stay somewhere for the summer before I went went away to college. And I was, you know, I was, a, uh, I had just graduated. Uh, so I was a senior. So one of my, my friends, he was a junior football teammate. His name is Mike Kruger. He went to his dad and he said, dad, you know, Sly got kicked out of the house. He needs somewhere to stay until football camp starts. Can you stay here? Now his parents, they knew me, they met me before. They obviously knew me as a football player. I was, I was good, you know, and, but they didn't really know me, know me, but I met them and you know, you get what I'm saying? They said, yeah, come on. He can come live with us. So I literally lived with them. I ate every dinner with them, every breakfast with them, every chore Mike had to do. I had to do because I, I was his shadow. So I did all of his chores. I, I went to church with them every Sunday. I'm not a church person. I'm a spiritual person. But the way I see it, they're showing me love. So whatever they whatever they're doing, I'm doing. Mm-hmm. So every Sunday we went to church and then after church, we went to McDonald's. They got me whatever I wanted. I don't obviously I don't eat McDonald's now, but at the time, I, I was all I had that McDonald's breakfast. You know, woo! oh damn, that's the awesome. <laughs> We'll get the egg McMuffin with the hash brown and the orange juice. Woo! I had it every time. <laughs> they took care of me, you know, and they looked out for me for that whole summer. And then my mom came to pick me up. She had a white Lumina, which it wasn't hers; it was my grandmother's car. So she drove my grandmother's car, picked me up, and then and drove and dropped me off to college, and. You know, I haven't I haven't been able to thank the Kruger family the way that I really want to. Um, I don't want to just text them. I don't want to just call them. like I really want to see them. And I think it's super important at this time right now for them to know what they meant to me, you know, because, again, I feel like they saved my life. And this, you know, this is a white family and this is them, you know, using they weren't rich. You know, they weren't rich. They had three kids. They, each one of the three kids had their own room. They had a basement. They were like slide posts up in the basement. There's no windows. It's dark. But, you know, that's what we have. It was all love. And in my life, that's what I've been shown for the most part from people just in general. It's just been love. And that's why I preach about it. That's why I preach about healing. That's why I preach about trying to develop healthy, happy connections. That's why I preach about having compassion and empathy because it's what is what has been shown to me. Even though I, I have some trauma in there, when I look outside of that, I just see so many people trying to love me.
1: Mm.
2: So I, I I can't give anything other than that. You know, I know for a second, and this I'm a, I'm gonna be done after this. I know for a second there was a, a a wound that came out, and you felt my energy turn up when I started talking about this issue because it is the the one thing that can rile me up for sure because it's draining. I'm tired. I'm tired of talking about it. You know, one more thing if there's any, what is the term? Black people who follow you and they listen to this and they haven't shared something. uh, I don't want anybody to guilt them because you don't know what they've been through. Mm -hmm. You don't know how many times they've had to defend their blackness. I'm one of the kids who, for certain groups of black people, I'm white because I talk proper or because I talk uh, intellectually or educated, whatever the hell you want to call it. I don't always talk with you know, urban vernacular with, with more, you know, urban vernacular. So I've been, I've literally, literally been teased for the way I talk. So like when I'm in high school, which was, this is part of the reason I was stressed out in high school is some of the black kids didn't like me because I appeared white because I dressed preppy. My father was an army dude. You know how they're not going to let you leave the house dressing that crazy. You're going to have a belt on You shoot everything tight. You know, it's like, I look preppy. But then, when it come to some white kids, you have some white kids who are like, "Oh, I'm not gonna talk to him because he's he's scary looking. Like he's like, no, dude, I'm just I'm just a loving human being. So it's like that's what one of the things that was plaguing me in high school. So I say all of that to say this: I love you and I appreciate you for bringing me on, man. For real, I really do. Uh, I'm coming up to Vancouver, and you got to take me fishing.
0: Yes, yeah, I'll take you. I don't even
2: like fishing, and I'll take you fishing. You got to take me fishing, okay? I haven't been fishing since I was a kid. Fishing is one of the best. It's one of the best things I've ever done. You fish, you develop such a spiritual connection with that animal, and then you you cook that animal and you eat it. It's just so good. Bless it's- it, you think it. Bless it, you just honor it. And I haven't got to eat that way in such a long time. I just I want to do that. I want to go on some hikes with you.
0: The the hiking scene up there looks crazy. Oh, it's insane! You get up here, you bring your lady and your and your boy, and we'll we'll definitely be going fishing and hiking and all the things. Insane. So, look, I'm gonna give your people
2: here. I'm gonna give them my number to my text community, just in case anybody mm-hmm. can get in it. And then I'm done. I got nothing else to say.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, sign give them that message. Thank you so much for being here, Sly, for sharing your energy, your wisdom, your heart, your love. Uh, that's all I ever feel from you is love. So, share that number and then drop the mic. <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: the number is 310 340 1677. So, you can text me right now at 310 340 1677. This is my text community. I send a positive text Monday through Friday. I don't do anything on the weekends because I have boundaries. those
0: boundaries. boundaries.
2: Boundaries. Um, and that's it, man. Text me. I send out positive things. I send out quotes. Uh, to this morning, I just ask people what type of fitness they're into. Uh, I send links to my podcast, my courses, and other things of that nature. Mark, thank you for sharing this time with me, man. I appreciate it. So, where do people find you on Instagram? On Instagram, I am the angry black man. No, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not angry. Uh, so, my full name is Sylvester McNutt. So, S Y L V E S. T-E-R McNutt. I'm pretty sure if you just type in McNutt, M-C-N-U-T-T, I'm pretty sure I will come yeah. up. And, uh, your I'm
0: huh? and your website, it'll come up. He's got lots of books. Check him out. Get Pick up his books. Sign up for his courses. Those things are new. They just dropped not that long ago. Congrats on that. Thanks for being here, brother. I appreciate it. Thank you, man. Appreciate you.